Welcome everybody to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. In today's episode, I'll be speaking to Sona about the 10th episode of season six of Better Call Saul, an episode called Nippy, an episode I wasn't a huge fan of, but I do have trust that this will all pay off later. Before that, I spend a few minutes discussing this musical daisy chain we've been building with another link in the chain, a song by Bruce Springsteen. Check out the episode from this most recent weekend where I reviewed Nope with full spoilers. If you've seen that film and you're curious about the ending and the possible interpretation of everything that happened there, make sure you check out that episode. And I also had a lot of negative things to say about the season finale of the show, The Old Man, something that I recommended and probably regret recommending it at this point. In this episode, we also discuss the Emmy nominations, which uh, we've discussed every one of those drama series here on this show in some great detail. So uh, pretty good batting average for us here. Later in the week, I will actually be on vacation, but we'll be having multiple conversations. So a hodgepodge of topics covered there that you may be interested in. We'll be reviewing The Gray Man from Netflix and having a further spoiler conversation about Nope with my sister. Make sure you subscribe so you know when those episodes become available. If you'd like to support us, make sure you recommend us to somebody via your social media or word of mouth. So the musical Daisy Chain continues following up last week's episode where Ian tied in Neil Young's Heart of Gold with Peter Gabriel's Don't Give Up, a duet with Kate Bush, whose connection via a Willie Nelson cover turned out to be the correct connection that he was looking for. The next link on the chain is State Trooper by Bruce Springsteen from his album, Nebraska. I was reintroduced to this Springsteen song, and honestly, back to the album, Nebraska, via its inclusion prominently in a memorably dark moment in the TV series, Outer Range on Amazon Prime, a show that I covered briefly here, similar to The Old Man, a show that we're currently recapping here on the feed, a show that started off very promisingly and then really (laughs) kind of lost its way to say the least, but did make some very interesting musical choices. And this being maybe the most memorable. In introducing Bruce Springsteen to this daisy chain, I was shocked to discover all of the connections, the links between Springsteen and Neil Young. As I like to tie all of this together to music I encounter watching movies and watching TV and how I am reintroduced to these artists, Brian Cranston has a movie that was recently released on Paramount Plus called Jerry and Marge Go Large, based on a true story about a couple that found a way to win their state lottery and expanded this across multiple states and made a lot of money and it's actually a pretty heartwarming if slight story and in that they use glory days by bruce springsteen from born in the usa of course tying everything back to what's happening on this podcast Brian Cranston is about to return to Better Call Saul, but the song I want to focus on once again is State Trooper from Nebraska. And I want to use it as an excuse to speak about the Nebraska album in general. In the popular consciousness, I think Bruce Springsteen is born in the USA. It's hard to deny that when you consider it came out in that year, 1984, where the music business was changing its model considerably. Coming out of the late 70s, where punk rock had, in a lot of ways, killed the bombastic arena rock of the early to mid-70s. And the driving force, musically, across the industry was disco, which had also flamed out spectacularly 
although it never really disappeared. And I'll have to talk about that on a future episode. And the record companies were really struggling. Many record companies in this era went out of business. And then the business model really changed with the arrival in 1982 of Thriller that became such a phenomenal success. The record industry continued to seek out these mega albums. And this really seemed to almost culminate in 1984, where you have Born in the USA, the biggest album of the year, but you also have Princess Purple Rain, which had a six month run at number one. Pyromania by Def Leppard also sold some 10 million copies or so. Madonna's Like a Virgin album came out in 84. Another enormous blockbuster. Lionel Richie had his biggest album. And it was the beginning of this era of seeking out that next blockbuster worldwide hit. And Born in the USA, with seven, count them, seven top 10 hits, was exemplar of this style of music promotion. And once you are familiar with Bruce Springsteen, of course, the next point of reference is Born to Run. whose youthful, bombastic style was a direct inspiration to Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell. So understandable that he would want to move away from that style of music when his sound had been co-opted by so many others. But just before... Just two years earlier, the immediate previous album to the massive success of Born in the USA was an album called Nebraska, an album that Bruce Springsteen wrote after coming off of a tour, a huge tour, with his double album, The River, which featured his first top five hit, Hungry Heart, an international hit single that had really raised his profile outside of the United States. He follows it up by isolating himself in a cabin in New Jersey and recording into a four-track. Now, just this style of recording would become an inspiration for artists such as Bon Iver and really just all of these bedroom producers of the next era. He had been at that time very much consuming a lot of punk rock music. There was this ongoing feedback between Springsteen's style and the punk rock movement that he was so fascinated by. Firstly, in his more aggressive incorporation of rockabilly into his sound throughout the 80s. Something that punk rock had reintroduced into the mainstream, or at least to these artists interested in the subgenre. The Clash being just one famous example of this. hear songs like The Car Dealer on The Clash's classic London Calling album. You obviously feel 
that Springsteen influence as well. Bruce Springsteen was heavily influenced by a proto-punk rock band from New York called Suicide. He had actually met them. They recorded in 1980 in adjacent studios, but was a big proponent of them, a band that never really achieved any kind of mainstream success, but was hugely influential on all of the punk of their era. They toured CBGBs and Max's Kansas City alongside the Ramones and Television and Blondie and the Talking Heads, but didn't actually put out an album until 1977. They were a duo and experimenters in this minimalist musical style. Very confrontational. They would intentionally <laughs> get into fistfights with the audience. And Springsteen was really inspired by the rawness of their artistry and their music. And in Nebraska and in some of the other songs that would follow, Springsteen imitated this yelping vocal style of the lead singer, Alan Vega, along with some of the extremely dark subject matter. Which leads us back to State Trooper, an ominous song where someone is being tailed by a state trooper and in his own mind, having a conversation with himself, begging the state trooper to not pull him over. License registration. Will he murder him? Will he get murdered? What's he hiding in that car? The question remains open, and there's this tension in the song. But when you consider that there are multiple songs on the album, the opening cut, Nebraska itself, is a reference to the Starkweather serial killer, which inspired the excellent Terrence Malick film, Badlands. And is told as Starkweather recounts his crimes and is unapologetic as he's about to be executed, which I have to assume was an inspiration, at least partially, for Nick Cave's The Mercy Seat. Springsteen, in effect, writing a new murder ballad, and Nick Cave, of course, fascinated by murder ballads, something you could probably say of both artists. By the way, Nick Cave has a whole album of murder ballad covers. Amazingly, this album in its day, despite having no singles, and despite having to be a shock to his audience, who knew him primarily from Born to Run, Darkness on the Edge of Town, and of course, the top five success of Hungry Heart, off of the river, this had to be a real shock to the system. And nonetheless, in its day, it sold a million copies, and to date has become a cult album to so many, is probably approaching double platinum. So that dark history is really not the connection I'm looking for, so to take things in a lighter direction. The particular connection I'm looking for, and there are so many, so I won't tease them all, but something interesting happened on the charts in 1978 for both of these 
artists. So that should be a good teaser for you, but maybe you can come up with even more interesting connections. So feel free to speculate and give me your guesses. Email me at needssomeintroduction at gmail.com and let me know if you want me to read your feedback on the air. You know, before we get into the breakdown of Better Call Saul, did you by chance see the Emmy nominee list this week? I checked it out very quickly. Uh, I mean, I did see a bunch of nominations for a lot of the shows that we talk about. Yes, exactly. That's what I was going to mm-hmm. say. I'm like, let's take a look at the list yes. of nominees for Outstanding Drama Series, Better Call Saul, which, of course, mm-hmm. right now. And, and Rhea Seahorn. Uh, yes, of course. And uh, Severance, which, of course, we did a whole season on succession mm-hmm. we did a whole season on that yellow jackets too right? yellow jackets which we d- discussed many times here euphoria which i did a review of season two here on the podcast ozark which we discussed mm-hmm. many times we had multiple mm-hmm. episodes about it and then of course squid game which you i don't think you've ever seen but i did review i need it. to watch and that it's so good you really should track that down. yeah that's, that's one of those it's you know obviously it's the most popular show netflix has ever had so just to speak to what a phenomenon it was but there is second season two coming this late this year so i would definitely recommend you catch up on that one and definitely worth discussing even now if you wanted to have a conversation about it and stranger things which of course i've just had two three different episodes on the first and second half of that most recent season and that's the entire list so we have covered in some way on this podcast, every single one of these shows. So we did a pretty amazing job at picking these out. Well, credit goes to you. You're the one that's picked them. <laughs> I'm scouring for, for so. shows to cover. <laughs> we also I talked mean, about you, Dexter, you did which did not job. make the list. So, <laughs> so I, I, I don't have, a, my batting average is not 100%, <laughs> just to say. <laughs> but Only Murders in the Building, by the way, was uh, nominated for Best Comedy. And we did talk about here. And Barry, also nominated for Best Comedy and a show we covered here as well. So we didn't do as well with the comedies. Two questions I have about the comedy list, by the way, nominated for best comedy series yet again is the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which has won mm-hmm. like three years in a row. Have you seen mm-hmm. a minute of this show? I've not seen a single minute of this show. I have not. <laughs> I hear good things. <laughs> and the other show in the comedy category that I definitely want to check out, especially because season two is coming is Abbott Elementary, which I've heard great things about and once again have not seen anything about that at all. You know, Abbott Elementary is one of these shows that, have you ever had this happen to you, that you see a show is on, you say, oh, I've heard it's good, let me check it out. And you watch the episode and it's good and then you move on with your life. And then time passes as you're living your life and then two months later, say, you see that it's on again and you say like, oh, right, this show, I liked it, let me watch it again. And it's the exact same episode that you saw the first time. Well, that's what's interesting about the show uh, is, and once again, me not having seen it, 
What's interesting about it is that it is very much like The Office, for example. It's like a workplace it's comedy. It's so much like The Office. And it's so a, much like The Office. It's on the network television, right? So it's very rare in the fact that, A, it has legitimately become a huge hit. So, you know, a comedy on network TV that's actually popular, very rare that we see that become very popular with critics and with audiences. And like you said, the other thing is that this is not like Barry, a sitcom that is completely breaking the mold of sitcom. It is a sitcom where you basically it's you, you have a day in the life of these people like the office for example they have their little adventure and then you reset it's like you can watch these episodes in any order like they're just completely self-contained little vignettes right which is how network tv used to be so it's mm -hmm. kind of and that's kind of the reason that I'm interested in watching it is that you know that style of tv is usually not the type of tv we watch nowadays like we were all like watching breaking bad or better call Saul. it's Shows true yeah not like and, and i think it procedural it is very inspired by the office to me yes, I, yeah. I haven't read much about it but it, it very much has that feel to it oh yeah no i think it definitely is a direct inspiration to the, the the creators of the show as well but yeah something i have not seen but something i do want to catch up on and uh oh hacks is on there which we both recommended mm -hmm. separately oh that's the thing i was going to bring up starting this very week and i'm going to make the recommendation again starting next tuesday or wednesday i forget which day it is uh, Reservation Dogs is coming back. So that's very exciting because that was like one of my absolute favorite shows of last year. But shocking to me, absolutely shocking that that show was completely shut out. No acting, no mm. writing, no best comedy. And I look at some of those nominees for best comedy and I'm like, you couldn't make room for Reservation Dogs, <laughs> which is a show that is truly like a not just groundbreaking. I was just so moved by it. I mean, it's not just esoteric. It is something that just is entertaining to watch. And you couldn't find, um, even in some of those secondary categories, a spot for for this show. It's pretty nuts, I think. But it is back for a second season. And it'll be back in just a week so or so. And I'll definitely be watching it. Cool. All right, Sona. So we break our pattern, the Better Call Saul pattern, of using an and in every single title up until this season, until this moment, for an episode called Nippy. Nippy. Mm -hmm. And I still have not looked up next week's episode, although it's probably out. I think they usually publish them about a week out, so it's probably available, but we'll see if they revert to that pattern. Maybe this means that the show is going in a different direction for these last set of episodes because they definitely went a different direction, I feel, <laughs> in this uh, episode. We open with, uh, we're in black and white, so now we are in the Cinnabon universe. Mm-hmm. What a delicious universe. <laughs> it really is. Is there I anything kept... like the smell of a yes. Cinnabon? Yes. <laughs> I got to tell you, this is great product placement for Cinnabon. I know that, for example, the killer tequila, they did reach out to different tequila manufacturers back in the day to try to get an actual tequila involved. And they're like, you are not going to kill somebody with our product. <laughs> so they invented funny. this other tequila. And then, of course, they kept going back to it, right? Like they used it to, to yeah, kill. so many times. <laughs> now, like in Better Call Saul, it's become like a, a small character in the show. And in this case, though, they've used Cinnabon, and Cinnabon, uh, you know, I guess they probably couldn't use it in a disparaging way. At one point in this uh, episode, I thought it might have been like the Cinnabon might have been poisoned or have some sleeping agent in it or something. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> very early Drugged on, with a Cinnabon. <laughs> Yeah, when he was timing him, and I guess I'm jumping ahead here, but he was timing him. I'm like, I wonder what kind of effect he was waiting for. I didn't realize he was just trying to get the guy's, uh, you know, patterns down. Mm -hmm. The smell of a Cinnabon is really so tantalizing uh, whenever you smell one when you're walking by. And of course, that's like almost like a, a plot point here in this episode. I mean, I don't even like 
cinnamon buns, cinnabons, mm-hmm. whatever. But the smell yes. is so delicious. It really is. They have to patent that. They probably do have a patent. Yeah, they know what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> bottle it. Make it a perfume. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that's actually not a bad idea. All right, so back into the recap. <laughs> we barely made it second in. We uh, see <laughs> Carol Burnett in her wheelchair uh, in this black and white segment. We actually open on her. What a get to have Carol Burnett. What an amazing cameo. I feel like maybe I'm overestimating our age or underestimating the age of the viewership. I feel like a lot of people might not know who Carol Burnett is, but for us, we were just, it hit both me and my husband at the same time. And both of us said out loud, it's Carol Burnett. (laughs) Interestingly, they had announced just recently, actually, that she was cast on the show. Once again, a little of the background here, I think that they also were talking about how they had recast the cabbie, if people haven't noticed. And it's probably easy to forget because we've only yeah. seen them in two scenes in this whole entire show up until this point. And so long ago. Right. And they actually recast this actor's name is Pat Healy, actually. And I have some recommendations pertaining to him later. And he has this kind of vibe in all of his previous movies where he's kind of this squirrely guy who is simultaneously someone you pity but not to be trusted <laughs> and mm-hmm. i think like they cast him and like i said this is kind of the vibe he gives off and it's always the character he plays in most of his performances so i think that they really cast him uh in his type let's say mm-hmm. <laughs> because that is probably going to pay off in some later point but what's interesting is that the carol burnett announcement and this recast was around the same time which is not that long ago maybe a month month and a half ago which means this is some of the new footage they shot and I do wonder <laughs> what the point of it is. Quickly to get through it, you know, we see her. She's very prickly. We see that she doesn't like her. <laughs> what, what was it? Wisconsin cheddar. It's the too Wisconsin sharp. cheese. Too sharp. And uh, she also does not want to ask for any kind of help. And mm-hmm. she doesn't like when they over uh, cut her deli meat. Mm-hmm. One and a quarter pounds, not one and a half. You know, of course, this is a uh, setup. Saul is uh, going to get in good with this prickly woman. And he's putting up some flyers for his lost dog, Nippy. And now, do you think that he set up the whole ice on the corner? Like, do you think that he set all that up or he was just happened to be there and waiting for her to get stuck somewhere so he could help her out? I feel like he set the whole thing up. <laughs> the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. He like, say, he like packed the ice. I think he created the, the snowfall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just another digression before we even get further into this. Say his cons are so convoluted <laughs> always it's such a long con yeah always, i mean always. he's really putting in the time and effort <laughs> he really is i think he must really savor it he must really enjoy he yeah. probably could get there in half the distance but he really mm-hmm. likes all of the setup right that's part of the mm-hmm. pleasure for him and of course it turns out that this is all a setup to get in the house of jeffy the pat healy character which is this cab driver who drove him one day and he recognized me just knew this guy is Saul I just can tell the look he looks a little bit different he's got the mustache his voice is a little bit different but that's Saul mm-hmm. this has been you know hanging over Saul's head since last season for anybody who forgot because it is a pretty minor plot point but at, this is when he reached out to Robert Forster's character the vacuum cleaner guy thinking that he might have to go on the run again. But he says, no, I'm going to do this my own way. And we've been waiting now a season and a half, basically, to find out what his plan was. And uh, we see it unfolding right here, actually. Mm-hmm. Did you early on in this whole entire thing, did you know what he was setting him up for? like, Or where were you with this whole plot? First of all, I, I didn't understand why someone put in this amount of work for what seemed to me would be a pretty negligible payoff. Right. But... 
Yeah, I definitely didn't understand the motivation of trying to get this guy to leave him alone. So the first interesting thing that happens here in a not very interesting episode, to be totally honest, but <laughs> somewhat interesting. <laughs> part of the reason to get in the door and not just to confront this guy, but to talk to the mom is to get a feel for what he may have already said. So get a feel for Jeffy, get a little bit of information on him so that he has something to hold over his head. And also to get a feel for, for example, has have you ever met anybody famous? And to see like, mm -hmm. well, has he ever ratted him out to his mom? And when it turns out that he hasn't said that, uh, or apparently hasn't, that he feels like he's a little bit safer, that maybe nobody is coming to get him. As a matter of fact, he double checks that after he basically makes this threat. He goes home and immediately turns on the police scanner because he's thinking there's a chance he's going to call the cops and be done with this whole thing. But the cops don't show up. So then he's like, OK, maybe my little seduction is working. And that seduction is that he is making a bet here that this guy really is a soul fan. He wants to get into this criminal underworld. And he says, okay, you want to be a scammer? I got a scam for you. And uh, then we see the whole rest of this episode is the setup of this scam where, first of all, he gets in good with the security guards, creates a routine every week, once a week. At first, I thought it was like a daily thing, but then you realize that they're talking about the football games. So you're looking at a weekly process. And I'm like, man, this guy is very patient in not ratting out Saul this whole entire time because we're seeing mm -hmm. months of work going by here, right? And he's bringing that Cinnabon, that tantalizing smell of the Cinnabon, and working his way, even the one security guard that he, uh, you know, basically threatened to sue last uh, year, he's won him over even. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're all friendly, you know, pretending, uh, play acting that they're on a football team uh, at one point in the, in the, yes. the, the mm -hmm. montage <laughs> of their uh, interactions. And all of this is to see how much time does this guy have to pull off this heist at this department store. And it's always, this guy's like clockwork. It's always takes him just over three minutes to uh, eat his Cinnabon. You know the full, you know the big Cinnabons, the really big ones. It's kind of fast, right? <laughs> yeah, three minutes seems like man. Yeah. I don't know if I could pound I mean, that now down. Now that I'm thinking minutes. about it, I mean, he's got a method, right? Where he's <laughs> he cutting does. it into quarters, which is something that I would do. So, like, I understand, <laughs> I, I get it, but I mean, for something so sugary, like I personally was worried for this guy's health, right? Because it wasn't clear to me whether this was, you know, at first happening every night or every week or right. like what the pacing was. But I don't think anyone should be eating a Cinnabon <laughs> a day, just to be clear. I, I just think that would affect your body badly very quickly. Part of the reason I don't eat Cinnabon anymore, and I never ate tons of Cinnabons, but I definitely used to when I would go to the mall and I was younger, I would stop at Cinnabon and we'd get a Cinnabon. And uh, it was just like a routine. And this was before they started to have those nutritional content things going around. <laughs> and I remember when New York rolled that out and there was like an article, worst to best fast foods. Uh -huh. And the absolute worst meal on the entire list of you know nutritional content to calories was the large Cinnabon, the large one. <laughs> and sometimes I get the smaller one, but sometimes I'd actually go, hey, you know, I'm hungry right now. I'm going to get the larger one. I am hungry. What I want is eight pounds of sugar. <laughs> exactly. But I, honestly, naively, not thinking about what the content of that nutritional content of that well, is. And also metabolism at that age true, is true. a whole other story. Oh, you could get a Yes, I could. Like, I would have a hangover from eating that now. That's part of the reason I don't yeah. eat it anymore. <laughs> but the mochaccino, right? So I would get a mochaccino. Oh, the, my God. Yes. Yes. It was like the meal. You know, whatever my goodness. It was like the, you know, like they're <laughs> special. Yeah. And I honestly had no idea how many calories were in that thing. And it was insane. The mochaccino was like 700 calories and a large Cinnabon with the sauce, obviously, on top was almost a thousand calories. So it was 1700 Eek. calories, 1700 calories. 
And I was like, oh my God, that's like a day's (laughs) calories. I I never in a million years would have suspected. I mean, I knew it was terrible for me, obviously, but I would never expect that like, oh my God, I can get like double Whopper with fries (laughs) and a giant soda and it would be less calories than the Cinnabon. Like I would never have expected that. Or steak, yeah, better better example. Or a giant bowl of pasta, giant, giant bowl. Yes, oh my gosh, (laughs) the most giant bowl of pasta, yeah. (laughs) And still be under the calorie total, holy cow. Anyway, so uh, they are delicious, though, I think, but uh, haven't had one in at least a decade, probably more. <laughs> anyway, so speaking we of that, digress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think what this shows us is this was the best marketing for Cinnabon, like yes, you said, absolutely. ever. I mean, I have not talked about Cinnabons this much in my <laughs> exactly. entire life. Exactly. Neither have, I. Neither have I. Although everything I said was negative, but yes, I haven't talked about it in a very, very long time. <laughs> So yeah, he's discovered what this window of time is where he looks away from the camera. And of course he's there. He's intentionally there to sit and talk to him to make sure he does not face the cameras that whole entire time. And uh, he's just created this routine. And like I said, very, very patient, very, very elaborate scams he pulls off. So now he has this three minute window and he goes and trains this guy, Jeffy and his brother. He basically lays out the floor of the department store and they have a little um well it's like a mnemonic but a pneumo- it's not, yeah, almost, a mnemonic. Right, right. not a mnemonic i'm not right. sure yeah that rhyme yeah a, a rhyme exactly song. yeah that he is uh, t- maybe it to- is a mnemonic maybe i'm reading the definition of mnemonic too narrowly in my head maybe it is we could be wrong about that but a mnemonic i think is what the word i was yeah. looking for whether it is correct or not in this regard just to keep him on task and making sure you only get three of each don't be too greedy if you take a whole rack of stuff, they're going to notice. Saul is a stickler for details, and he uh, really trades this guy. When you see him like taking three purses, he goes and he rearranges the purses so they look like they were laid out. Uh, you wouldn't just take all the purses from one side of the, and then the salesperson wouldn't do that, and then not recorrect the display. So he's recorrecting all the displays. Right, so very, which very is detailed. definitely going to be key to somebody yes. not noticing this exactly. for three days. Um, although I did feel he was a little sloppy and I feel like if it were my job to maintain the displays, I would notice that it was not the way I left it. I'd say that's all true, except for the fact that having worked retail in the past, it's like, if something looks kind of messy, customers are terrible. (laughs) So I probably would assume, I probably would assume that someone has just, you know, knocked over all this stuff. You know, I think you worked at a, we sold jeans at one point, didn't you? And people would literally just like grab something like their size from the bottom and just dump them all on the oh floor. Oh my God. Like they it was the handbag less. section that was the worst for whatever reason, the handbag section was just chaos. But um, I think there is a point here also that probably like a person who cares that much about the displays, is probably not working the minute the store opens. Yes, exactly. So if you noticed any disruption, you would just think like, Oh, well in the two hours before I got here, somebody ransacked this section, which is quite possible. You know, obviously if you see like, it looks like someone just like plowed into multiple parts of the store. That would be a dead giveaway. One right. or two shelves that are a little disordered. Yeah, yeah. Not really going to raise too many alarms. And yeah, you know, that's the whole scam. <laughs> we have a very funny sequence there when during the actual perpetration of the crime that he sli- slips mm-hmm. <laughs> and knocks himself out. And is maybe the only kind of uh, deeper scene in this whole entire uh, yes. episode, because we do see that Saul has to keep the security guard's attention for a few minutes longer and starts talking about, you know, he has nobody. And we've also seen this as a motif on the show. Saul, in the perpetration of his scams, has to grab someone's attention or convince somebody of something, and he ends up maybe sharing too much. And he almost surprises himself that he's making these confessions. It's as if he's so in his own Saul 
persona that he forgets his actual biography. And maybe mm -hmm. that's the intention of all of it. Because mm -hmm. uh, when he's talking about, I don't have anybody, my wife yeah. left me, it's I don't have true. my brother. And you hear his voice mm -hmm. crack, a good job by yeah. Kirk there when he's talking about his brother, because he's suddenly like stepping into a very uncomfortable place for himself. Yeah. So they pull it off. They pull this scam off. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the exact amount, but of course, Saul has calculated exactly the amount of money for these goods mm -hmm. through this whole entire time. I am still lost as to how this is going to somehow get him off the hook with these guys. But it turns right. out, turns out he has figured this all out. He says, you have stolen more than $5,000 worth of stuff, which makes this grand theft. You have crossed state lines, which makes this a federal case. Mm -hmm. And then all the minimums on this, and maybe you can speak to this in more detail, are like a minimum 10-year sentence. So he's basically mm -hmm. saying, this is a mutually assured destruction. If you mm -hmm. say anything about me, you are low-hanging fruit. I have proof of everything you did. And you guys are going to go to jail for 10 years. And even your brother, your brother's going to be a bet, you know, a, a betting. And I don't know how many years he would get, but probably multiple years as well. So it's like no reason to rat out Saul just for those purposes. It turns out he uses his Saul superpowers to, uh, <laughs> to potentially, at least momentarily, get this guy off his tail. Um, I like the little detail of him putting the pinky ring back on. Yes. Yes, I agree. I thought that was nice that he's like assuming that persona again so he needs the yep. accessories to do so <laughs> right right slipping jimmy slipping jimmy to me what was really notable i guess about this episode is that in the beginning you and i even texted each other right that like slipping jimmy's back yep like you are who you are and i thought about this even in connection with our conversation last week with kim about how i was saying you know in a way i feel sorry for him because he's looking for someone to save him from himself. And he just can't pick the right person. It's not his brother. It's not Kim. Whoever he picks is just, um, he ends up doubling down as right. a result of the relationship. And after we were talking, I was, I didn't finish out the thought by saying, I think one of the things that you learn as you grow older and reflect on yourself is that no one can save you from yourself, but you. Right. Right. Like there really is never any shortcut to that. You have to do the work yourself. And I say this as someone who wanted to be saved from many things in my life <laughs> and never picked the right person to save me. And in the end, I saved myself by doing the work and facing the things that I was running from. I thought like, this is it. Like he hasn't done the work. He hasn't saved himself, like right. back to Slip and Jimmy. But I think that was a, I jumped to that conclusion because we see that as much as he might still enjoy the thrill of this, there was a goal, right? Yes, there yes. was a point that was about preserving what he had. Uh, he wasn't just doing it for the thrill of like the Giselle type scam, right? Of how much can we get from this guy? Yep. Um, this is a, a fun way to spend the night. Like he had a very important reason for doing what he did. And I think that shows the evolution of the character in a way that I hadn't expected. I agree with all that, but I would say that there is a little, well, I mean, I guess it depends on how you read this scene. You know what? I might have to second, I, I might have to reverse myself based on what you just said. What I was going to say was that he's slipping back potentially into the Saul persona because, and this is the last thing I wanted to touch on, is that final shot where he goes into the same department store. He's checking out to make sure there's nothing. Uh -huh, uh -huh. People don't feel st stressed out. No one seems. Uh -huh. And he gets this very loud shirt. It's very loud. Oh, tie. Such an ugly combination. Yes. <laughs> yes. I actually wrote that like quite a subtle style there, Saul. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Trying it on, you know, the, the old skin again, just so to speak. 
and he looks in the mirror. And honestly, when he hung it up at that moment and he walks away, I was thinking like, oh, maybe this is like a tease for his return to this persona again. But then as I'm as you were saying what you were saying, and as I just said those words, he hung it up and mm-hmm. walked away. I'm like, mm-hmm. maybe that is him saying, like, I could buy this shirt right now. I could turn. But he I, still got it. He yeah. can do it. <laughs> but he ha- he doesn't buy it. He hangs it up. And like, you know, so maybe he is truly turning a corner, like you said, and uh, has hung this up for good. And this was only this one time. Self-preservation. He uses superpowers. You know, Superman had to, uh, you know, <laughs> reveal himself a little bit as Clark Kent. But he's back in his Clark Kent persona now. And he's like, nope, I'm uh, I'm not going to be Superman again. Or uh, Lex Luthor in this case. <laughs> but uh <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, that's the uh, the only kind of interesting for me, thematically interesting part of this whole episode was in those final moments. Oh, one more thing that I think might pay off later that I want to point out at the very end when he is there helping them supposedly fix their car. And he has that one more interaction with the Carol Burnett character. She said, I'm so glad you're like a good influence on my son because, you know, he was out in Albuquerque and he Mm -hmm. fell in with some like like with a rough crowd. Right. So intriguing. Yes. So I do think that given the fact, you know, some of this behind the scenes stuff that they reshot some footage, I think they have expanded the role of Carol Burnett. Why else would you get her and expanded the role of uh, this character as well? The cabbie, Jeffy. And I have a feeling that maybe he won't go to the authorities, but maybe he will or still has some of these contacts from Albuquerque. So maybe he didn't tell his mom about Better Call Saul. But maybe mm. he did tell one of these shady guys, you know who I ran into? And Interesting. Uh, somebody might be turning up. Someone maybe, someone we know. And we heard the reference to Walter White, right? Yes. The, oh, um, yeah. When they call that out too, yeah. Mm-hmm. The bald science teacher. <laughs> this bald science teacher comes in to see me. He's 50 years old. He can't even pay his rent. A year later, he's got, you know, money the size of like a a truck, right? A pile of money the size of a truck. He doesn't Mm -hmm. mention that two years later, he is dead. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you think about this? I will tell you that I was a little disappointed with this. First of all, that still that was released that had Jesse and Walt. I think a lot of people are going to be angry about that because... We didn't see Walt or Jesse at this moment. The second thing is I did feel like, you know, given the fact we have now three more episodes at this moment after this, like, did we need a whole episode on this scam? I, I Maybe it'll pay off. You know, there was a lot of setting things up in the first half of the season and they did pay it off with what happened to um, Howard. Howard. But hmm, what did you think? Well, you know, we were wondering last week, right? Like, oh, we've jumped into this Breaking Bad timeline so soon, sooner than we expected for the amount of episodes that are left. And I guess now that we know we're having one (laughs) whole episode in the Cinnabon timeline, maybe it makes a little bit more sense. I mean, listen, the Cinnabon universe is is bleak, right? (laughs) So an hour in that bleak black and white space does feel unexciting, I think. For me, I guess the acting, the characters, all of that was enough to carry me through it. Do I want to see another two episodes like this? No, I do not. Right. This better not be the last three episodes for sure. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I didn't mind it as a one-off type of thing to see in a little bit more detail what Gene's life is right because we also got insight into that that what the apartment is like and his Cinnabon routine and you know saying hello to the same people every day and and all of that and his 
confession with the security guard when he's trying to distract him. So I, I think it was worthwhile, but not very exciting. Yeah, I agree. And almost now in retrospect is discussing it. I appreciate it a little bit more, uh, especially it's probably setting things up for the finale that once again, just like the show is like a con itself. It loves setting things up that seem <laughs> innocuous and then they pay off later on. Yeah. So I'm sure that is happening here in this episode. But in my mo in the moment, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Did we just spend a whole episode on this? <laughs> yeah but I'm sure it will pay off. I mean, I have a lot of confidence in these showrunners, obviously. And in Same. retrospect, it might feel like, you know, exactly what we needed, a little breather before whatever is to come. But uh, at the moment, I was kind of like, ah, uh, okay, not the choice I would have made <laughs> with three episodes to go. Yeah, I mean, we know, right, that this show can do that kind of like heart-stopping tension and yes. excitement and and all of that. So this just felt like all of a sudden, like dragging your feet in the sand, kind of, I felt. But that is such as the Cinnabon universe. It all feels like that, right? right. I'll tell you something, though. Given the fact that we don't know what happens to these characters, when he like slipped and fell, when uh, Pat Healy's character knocks himself mm -hmm. out there for a minute, that it was actually a very tense moment for me because I'm yes. like, if this guy gets caught, is he going to rat out Saul? If the security guard turns around and sees this, is like, why didn't you tell me what was happening on the screen? Right. Obviously, mm -hmm. give himself away. So there was. And once again, we are in the world with stakes at this moment. Right. This is undiscovered country. Right. We're outside of the world of both shows. So uh, I'm like, well, there are stakes here all of a sudden. <laughs> so it was pretty tense there for a minute, although I didn't really believe that they were going to do that. But it was still... I also didn't believe that that guy fell so hard. He actually knocked himself unconscious. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I thought like, oh, they're off on their timeline because he slipped and fallen. But then when I saw he wasn't moving, I was kind of uh, surprised that you could hurt yourself that badly in that way. <laughs> but what do I know? <laughs> yeah, I knock yourself out for a minute or two. Then again, it's only a minute or two. Right. So it's uh, that's kind of what you see there. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, as a, someone who is very clumsy and falls down a lot, it was surprising. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thanks for the conversation and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.